Welcome, travelers. I'm Josh. I'm Glenn. And I'm Lee Wanika. And this is Tabletop Journeys, where we will be your humble guides on the quest to RPG adventures. Here at Tabletop Journeys, we are all devoted role players and storytellers at heart, and we absolutely love sharing our passion with you. In our main podcast episodes, we discuss D&D 5e's core rules and ever-expanding content, while also showcasing other RPG systems and bringing you fresh, new projects from indie content creators. Let us help you get the most out of your story, no matter what game world you're playing in, because detailed settings, heroic characters, vibrant NPCs, and a focus on story over rules can make any campaign legendary. Here's a message from friends of the show. What if I told you there's a world where not only are monsters like vampires and werewolves real, but they have rights just like you and me. And in this world, there exists a secret government organization dedicated to keeping you safe and making sure they follow the rules. Welcome to Anarium a Monster of the Week podcast. Each episode, you will follow the story of three agents of Anarian, played by Rob Hamilton, Taylor Catron, and Cameron Bain, as they navigate through the treacherous world that Game Master Samuel Herbert has imagined for them. Tune in on Spotify, iTunes, or whatever your preferred podcast platform is. It's dangerous out there, folks. So, remember, leave the monster hunting to us. The professionals. Welcome everybody to today's episode. So we have got another interview on on board for us. It seems like we've been doing some really great interviews lately, and I'm uh, yeah, I'm really does. looking forward to continuing with that trend today. But before we uh, introduce our guest here and get into that, Luinika, Glenn, good afternoon. Happy to see you. Hope things are well for you. How, how are you this afternoon? <laughs> doing really well. Having a great day. I had a brilliant weekend, had a fantastic weekend with family friends, doing lots of family friend things. I'm getting set to prep for this week's coming tabletop games. I've got my Monday night regular campaign. They just finished their big adventure. They dealt with a big puzzle surrounding a shadow dragon. They successfully dealt with the big twist was they were rescuing the shadow dragon because the shadow dragon being contained was the power that their big bad had. So they knew they were going here to remove his power source. They didn't realize his power source needed to be rescued. So they successfully rescued. There were some nice role-playing things. They kind of, one of the characters messed up a little bit in the role-play. So they didn't have all the pieces of the next puzzle, which was how they needed to escape safely. So they had a bit of an adventure there on the way out that may not have originally been in place had they had done a little differently in the role-play section. Mm. So, yep. A lot of fun. Nice. I got to build puzzles. For a second or third time in this campaign, 
to great effect with great role-playing and combat implications. So it's a lot of fun getting set for the denouement of that event and moving to the next phase of the campaign. Excellent. Excellent use of a big word. Excellent. How yeah. about you, Glenn? How are you, sir? Doing great. Still down in North Carolina, where uh, we've been watching on Saturday the half Ironman Wilmington, North Carolina that my sister-in-law was competing in. And it's been a great little trip that we made last minute. But here I am recording from an Airbnb, six or seven states away from home. It's uh, it'll, nice. it'll be a good time. I think for keen-eared listeners out there, of course, given the production schedule and everything like that, sounds like you've been in North Carolina for about seven months. So that's It'll be, be a fun time. Yeah. <laughs> the release schedule does not always match the recording schedule. <laughs> no, There's it a little peek behind the curtain, guys. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Let us introduce today's awesome guest. And man, I've been looking to go ahead and dive into this one for quite some time here. Joseph, welcome to Tabletop Journeys. And we're here to talk about your latest game, Guild 66. How are you yeah. doing today, sir? I'm doing really well. Thanks so much for having me. I'm quite excited to be here and to talk to you guys. Sounds like you guys have had some pretty awesome weeks. I like the sound of that campaign that talking to the dragon. That sounds very cool. A lot of intrigue going on. I'm glad to be here. Yeah, that's uh, that's very much intrigue is very much Lewanika's game. That's kind of one of the cool things about the three of us is that we all kind of specialize in different things. And intrigue and like political machinations are very much like Lewanika's bag. It's great. Yeah, yeah that is totally cool. his wheelhouse. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> yeah. Um. <laughs> all right, let's go ahead and. Uh, Let's see if we can have you introduce Guild 66 to our listeners, because it was not a game that I was familiar with until we invited you to go ahead and come on the show and started looking through the material that you sent us, which, uh, by the way, thank you very much for sending us such a significant amount of material. It's great. Go ahead and pick through questions, which is great. But go ahead and uh, give our listeners kind of an overview. What is Guild 66 yeah. and the surrounding peripheral material that, uh, that came with it? The material I sent you is open material. All the playtesters get the same copy, and everyone who's just basically wants to have a fl uh, flick through it, gets the same copy. This is a very early access copy, but it is about the length of a short novel. <laughs> this is essentially the player's handbook. Guild 66 is, I'm calling it an um, explosive, creative, fully open TTRPG, where you play as hunters, you, you are tasked with hunting down one large monster. There are no combats in the game except the last one, which is effectively a boss battle. And the hunters need to investigate what this creature's weaknesses are and what its strengths are. They need to forage, craft, and create items to use in the battle, apply the monster's weaknesses, prepare as best they can, cross the fingers, and hope to fight it. Yeah, so it's very... Creativity is at the core of this TTRPG, where the hunters go and do whatever they can in this world to try and not defeat the monster. Yeah. That sounds so cool i got a million questions about <laughs> about this here <laughs> go ahead dying to get into here i guess without any further ado let us d20s to the ready and roll our initiative here see big if i money, can big money last no time I, think I, hit, uh, I, I think i had 19 and 18 on my initiative round so let's see if that continues it does not uh 13 for me i am at an 11 i actually get to go first no, Glenn's got no, a 13. I yeah. said 13. Love this week. Love this week. I dislike your reality and I substitute my own. No, don't worry. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Got it. You know, numbers. Yep. You'll get to go secondly with Nico. So there you go. This was so. philosophical. I just didn't believe yours existed. <laughs> <laughs> right, go ahead, Glenn. One of the things I really liked as I was going through the material for Guild 66 is how it's designed around the concept of a party of hunters 
on a specific mission. It does drill you right down to the specific, there's lots of detail that can go into it. You could make a great story out of the hunt, but it brings you down to a specific scenario each time you play. You're going to be investigating and trying to figure it out. And I got a lot of vibes from various sources. I'm going to go ahead and throw out Geralt popped into my mind quite a lot of Rivia. And I really like this hunter concept and this hunter guild concept. But the one thing that it made me think is and wonder is in your playtesting and in the folks that you've had running the game, obviously this is going to run as an episodic sort of adventure each time you play. Do people find that it stays kind of an episodic one-shot style adventure? Or do you find that people are having a lot of fun and success in growing it into some form of a campaign, whether it's with an overarching storyline or just they're traveling like Gerald was and the next town has a new adventure? How have people so far strung one adventure into the next so that if you get into the same hunter, you can keep playing with your group of friends as an ongoing party? This is an excellent question because this has come up, not to my playtesters, but it certainly occurred to me. I've been playtesting this game almost every single night since April to make it the best it can be, and playtesting is still going on. I have one group of playtesters called the Custard Crew. Like I said, this is a very creative game. People are very do what they want with it. So they have an obsession with Custard. They call themselves the Custard Crew, and they are really enjoying it as an episodic approach. Each campaign is separate. They go to the town. They do what they do, investigate, craft, create, lots of foraging. They really like foraging and doing alchemy. And then they fight the monster and they go to the next town and they do it again. They're really enjoying that approach because it's more laid back. And what they want out of this is the freedom to create and tackle each quest individually. I have another group called the Farmyard Lads. And this game... There are no mechanical benefits to gender or race. You play the character you want to play. You're not locked into a character trope. And they chose that all their hunters were going to be farm animals. There are no mechanical benefits to races. So yes, we have a cow called Cowboy Boy Cow. (laughs) We have a cat called Cowboy Cat the Cowboy Cat. (laughs) We have a red panda called Panthros... No, Anthros Panthros. And so on. They're really enjoying this as a story narrative-driven game. They are so in it for the narrative. They love their crazy characters and they want to see them grow continuously. So in this game, there is something that is causing the monsters to do what they're doing. So let's say the cause is affecting five different monsters. So you go, you follow the trail, you beat the five different monsters, and you find the cause of what's upsetting the ecosystem. So you absolutely can turn this into a linear narrative ongoing story campaign. They are at Monster 3 right now, and it's been a lot of ghosts and ghoulies. And I don't say any more in case they listen to the episode. <laughs> I don't want to spoil anything. Yeah. Sorry, guys, I tried. Oh, give them one. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> they've had more than enough. They're far too intelligent for their own good, and they've had more than enough. <laughs> I spoil them. Um, and then the last group, I don't have a name for their group. And they tune in bi-weekly because they're very busy. Some of them have gotten new jobs. They're getting going through life. It's a very busy period for them. So they like it as one-shots every time. So for them, it's a setting with no story. 
they will see a glimpse of the monster on the horizon, behind the trees, just very quickly flying away. So immediately they've got some very concrete clues. So there's a lot less investigating for them. They know very quickly what the monster is. And then they go and they hunt the creature and we all have a good laugh and I see them again later. So it's very much pick it up, very quick game. The game lasts about two hours, put it down again. What I like about this game and the system is that it's very creative, it's very open-ended and it's very freeform. You can without changing the rule set, without bending and breaking the mechanics, you can play the game you want to play, because ultimately it's your game. Right. I love the fact that you have three games that represent all three of the possible ways that I was saying that this could go. How would you do it? That's fantastic. Like I say, I've played this game every night. (laughs) (laughs) I was just going to say, I love the concept of a game that handles three different styles of play. I I think that your description is really good. And the fact that it plays in about two hours makes it perfect. I don't necessarily like the palate cleanser phrase because that sounds like a one and done, like you never get to play it again. But it does feel like a perfect game to be played when two people don't show for the regular session. You pop this out and you can jump right in and play the game. And if even if you wanted to make it that campaign style, you can come back to it a couple weeks later and and drop it in then, or everybody, all of a sudden, you and some friends are just hanging around, maybe back from the pub or what have you, and all of a sudden, hey, we're all here. <laughs> no, Nobody's playing, nobody wants to watch TV, we're all here. Let's play a game real quick, and you can do that. I love that element of the game. That's awesome. Thank you so much. Yeah, for them in particular, I think, to be honest, they don't tune in for playtesting, they tune in because it's a great time to catch up. And I can ask them, like, how's their new job? How are they getting on? They can ask me how things are going. We can. My partner, Emily, um, she normally pops in and just says hello and how things are going. We have a quick chat. Yeah, and it, it's like you say, it's a palate cleanser from the week. It's a palate cleanser from the work week. It's a nice way to just kick back and relax. And character creation in this game is super quick. You don't need fancy dice, you just need D6. I chose D6 because they're incredibly accessible. If you've got a game of Monopoly or Mistakes and Ladders or you got some paper and some glue, you can make D6. <laughs> yeah. yeah, It's has been like that with paper and glue, but... Uh, it's been a while. I know yeah. it works. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Obviously, it's a new game. It's a D6-based game. So it's different than 5e or the types of or some of the games that are out there, so something you've created. Can you give us a bit of the history behind what brought you to create this game, how that came to pass, and I guess how you got from, hey, I really like these things called RPGs, to, hey, I'm going to make my own because who's going who's gonna to make me a more fun game than the game I make for myself? To be honest, so much of it was a blur and it happened so quickly. It's difficult to remember, I'll be totally honest, but (laughs) I started playing TTRPGs in about 2013, my first year at uni. I met lots of people like myself, just nerdy guys, nerdy girls who just wanted to play some, some silly games and make weird noises and roll some dice. And I discovered D&D 5e, I think is most people's first TTRPG. And I liked it. I liked it a lot. But the barrier to entry was quite high financially. You know, all these different dice, it's quite a complicated rule set. And to make the game do what you want to do, you have to like really give it a 
a good mess around. And I was like, D&D is great, but I'd like to try some others. So I tried some others, some like really short ones. I really liked Chris McDowell's Electric Bastion Land. And I'm quite a creative person. My background is in production. I started making some source books for D&D, the Potion Craft Compendium, which is all about brewing potions in D&D, and the Fungonomicon, which is just a bunch of mushroom-themed spells. I was very I totally pleased love that. that name. Totally Thank you very much. That's great. That's, yeah. That is fantastic. <laughs> Thank you very much. Yeah, and I just got making stuff, and I was like, well, I'm making stuff anyway. I want to make a TTRPG. Like people say, do what you know, talk about what you know, um, make something that you would want yourself. And I was like, I want a TTRPG. So I started making one. And now I'm also making some enamel pins and some cards to go with the game. Because I love enamel pins and who doesn't like cool cards? <laughs> when we did our most recent Kickstarter, the core of it was like 12 custom subclasses. And one of the things that I played with as I was, it was like three o'clock in the morning. I'm like, what could we do for add-ons? Like, what are cool things? And one of the things I thought about was doing like custom cards that would go along with them of the 12 subclasses for the 12 of those. And I still kind of have in the back of my head that that would have been really cool and a lot more work than I actually thought it was going to be when I first started. So it's one of those things like, okay, that's like a minefield because I don't want to dive too deeply into that, into that there. Yeah. Yeah. I am slightly concerned that I have now created the barrier to entry for my products too high. Because a lot of people, I really like the idea of the cards because the in my the magic system, hunters cast signs, which are one-handed, very quick spells that they can do in the midst of combat. They can just turn them out and throw them out and still be an active member of the fight in, within melee range. And to cast a sign, you will choose the spell and then choose the element. So if you want to throw flames, you need a spell that like, casts it, and then some fire. If you want to cure poison, you need a healing spell and the poison element or ailment. So these cards are a really great way to keep track of what elements and ailments you know, and also what like spells you can apply them to. So you can just quickly see, oh, I've got fire here, this thing's weak to fire, what sort of attack spells do I have? And then bang them together. That is a really great magic system. It is pretty like, cool. Thank you. So if you'll allow me to draw a parallel actually a little bit. So we talked pre-show about how today we also recorded an episode with another Kickstarter that's going on right now and happened, I tagged you both on Twitter and you both happened to be friends and, or at least on Twitter, right? Yeah, right. They also have kind of a magic block system where like you build spells by taking various elements and putting them together. And that's really cool about how basically you're like a Chinese takeout menu, right? You pick a little bit from column A, a little bit from column B, and <laughs> then you get the spell. Right. And I yeah. love that. And I also love kind of the duality where you have elements and ailments. That's a really, first, first of all, that's, I'm a word guy, right? And the fact that, that you kind nice. of have like, like elements and ailments, that's a really nice, the parallelism is really nice. That's just really cool. And it leads me directly to the question that actually I was going to ask maybe a round or two from now, but I'll crack it open now. Because one of the things that I was really interested in was the way that magic weaves its way into the game. And, and you didn't even talk about that really at the beginning. You're like, you know, there's going to be a single monster that you need to go find. It's going to be a lot of foraging, a lot of crafting and everything like that. But the threads of magic kind of permeate everything was in there. So I wanted you to go ahead and talk a little bit about that. Like, what is the role of magic in this world in what could otherwise be a very non-magical investigation, foraging, crafting kind of mechanic. Yeah, so magic in the game is quite a mysterious thing, and it's not exactly well-trusted. This is a world with enormous monsters that are 
really destroying a lot of settled and civilized places. And so all the settlements are quite far apart. There's a lot of wild land in this world. And so people aren't exactly the most trusting of things they don't understand because they're just not well connected with each other and they're not well connected with what each other knows. Lots of exploration in this game. And so magic is very useful if you can get the resources together, if you can learn it, and if you can get people to trust you with it. So there are sorcerers who cast spells and there are hunters. Sorcerers draw enormous magic circles. And with the like arcane circles, they can produce some amazing effects if they can control it well. With these arcane circles, they can summon a type of monster. There's four families of monsters, and one of them is spectres, and they come from the ethereal. And yeah, so people don't exactly trust magic as well because of people use it to summon horrible ghosties. And then hunters do signs, which are very small, very easy to use, very quick to produce handheld spells with much lesser effects. Still impressive, but not as impressive as a massive circle. Yeah. And then there is also an ancient type of magic, which people can find out about in the Guildmaster's Guide, that is lost, and it was used to create relics and magic items, but we don't know how to make magic items anymore. That type of magic is lost. Oh, that's very cool. I like the... And so I would imagine that the lost magic, again, factors into the investigation foraging mechanic where maybe you, can, you can find like, hey, I have this doohickey, I don't know what it does, and, or I don't know how it does what it does, but it does this thing. I mean, then trying to investigate how do you activate it? How do you unlock other powers that maybe are within it that are not immediately obvious and stuff like that? Like, I can see how that could be really cool. But yeah, yeah. The ancient magic, I wanted to have more of an artistic flair to it. It's not exactly a concrete kind of magic system. And then modern magic is more scientific. If you do this in this way, at this time, in the right ways, with the right words, then it will produce this effect every single time without question. As long as you do everything right, it will work. Whereas with the old magic, it was more artistic and free-flowing. Oh, interesting. Like a shadow and bone style vibe there, where like you, the industrialization of magic on some level, mm-hmm. if I do the same thing over and over again, it will produce the same effect. And it's yes. known in, yeah. Interesting. Absolutely. Okay. Yeah. Cool. All right. Gentlemen, I think we're on to round two. Yeah. Let's see if Luanika can, uh, can break through this time for us. Unless you both roll a nat one, I don't think so. This is oh, 17 no. for me, unfortunately. Yeah. Uh, well, <laughs> not unfortunate for me. Nine for you. All right. That means I get to go first this time. One of the questions that we love to go ahead and ask creators who are bringing in here, and it builds a little bit on, on Limonika's question asking about kind of how you came to be content creator. And I want to dive a little bit deeper about more. What are the influences either from the TTRPG space or from media outside of the space that like the well-trained eye can see its bones and its sinew kind of running through the game here. But what is it that you pull from to go ahead and make a game like this? Absolutely. So my first inspiration was the Monster Hunter game series. I love the fact that if you don't prepare for the hunt correctly, if you don't eat, if you don't get the right items, and if you don't choose the right weapon, you're out. That's it. You're done. And I like the high stakes and the pressure on preparation, especially when you don't necessarily even know the monster you're about to fight. So in this game, if you get the clues wrong, and if you 
think it's the wrong monster and you go in prepared for one thing and it's something else, your best chance is yeah. probably to run away. Yeah. And obviously, you've already noticed the Witcher elements coming in. Inspired by the game series, not so much the books, because I really like the game mechanics of the emphasis on investigation, but also the light horror themes and the light that is like very heavy on the mystery, of course, but I quite like the light horror themes. And in this game, there is a very simple, very baked down curse system that gems can use because when the magic is used in this game, when you cast a, a sign, the cost of that sign is noise. You get a kind of feedback that is absorbed into you. And it causes headaches, light nausea, a tingling at your extremities. And if it's bad enough, you'll just lose consciousness. So if you cast too many signs and you go over your noise limit, the limit, your capacity for noise, you'll just straight up pass out. And if you're in the middle of a fight with an enormous monster, the last thing you want to be is lying on the floor unconscious. Yeah. So obviously the it's kind of small horror elements. There is a curse system. And Breath of the Wild and Wind Waker. Mm. I love the open world. But more than that, I love the room to explore. Like in Ocarina of Time, for example, you have to go so far through so many different things before you reach another settlement. And in Breath of the Wild, when you do reach a settlement after exploring these swamps and forests, it's not even necessarily that great there's not really much there it's <laughs> beaten down by mother nature it's so hemmed in and constricted and i really liked the freedom of the exploration in those games it heavily inspired the world of guild 66 nice i hadn't actually picked nice. up that connection but i love it because i love the hell out of both of those games that was they oh, were both sweet. a great time to explore and i love what you're talking about there with the concept of not just that there's lots of space between kind of point A and point B, but that reaching point B is not necessarily like this panacea that's going to solve all your problems. It's not like everything mm-hmm. that you need is in the next village. It's nope, that next village may just also be 50 farmers and they have corn that they can trade with you, but that's about it. Like they subside on corn and pork and that's what they've got there. And that's absolutely. Um, and so I kind of love that, that concept of. The exploration is really valuable because learning what you can between point A and point B is maybe even more important than what you're going to get when you get there, other than the fact you may be able to live on, like, sleep in a room in a house under undercover for a night. Yeah, that's really cool, too. I like that. That's awesome. But, Thank you yeah. very much. Yeah. In Guild 66, I wanted the players to feel like their characters were powerful, but not because a god chose them, or it was destiny, or they were the chosen one, or someone granted them all their powers. I wanted it to feel like they'd gotten as good as they are because they invested the time in themselves to do it. And so if you want to learn like a new sign or a new ability, or you want to make some items, you got to do it yourself. Yeah. Very empowering for the, uh, for the player in that regard too. Yeah. If- they really feel like, nope, everything that I want to do is absolutely within my agency and within my control. I just need to be able to go ahead and actually execute to be able to go ahead and do it. <laughs> we spoke earlier about the fact that my games tend to be very intrigue-oriented, and I consider part of that intrigue to be the exploration piece. Because in that travel between one major place and another major place, there may be a small village in between or a small thing in between, and talking to those people becomes a piece of that exploration. 
what do they know about what's going on in the area? What do they notice about the animals and the troubles of the animals in their area or the quality of the hunt, which has been declining for the last six months? The spring rains that have come early or come late or whatever the case may be, those little things, they may be little narrative bits. And in some games, that's filler for the box text. That means absolutely nothing in my game. I'm not saying any of those things unless there's a purpose. Either somebody is directly trying to steer the characters wrong, i.e. they're in league with the bad guys, or they are people with information that I want the players to have, but I'm not just going to give it to them. They have to ask for this information, and that's how they get the benefit to the later fight. My dragon... He had information that would help them in the next puzzle. They didn't handle that well. They didn't get that information. The next puzzle was exponentially harder. It sounds like similar concepts in a different mechanic setup. Absolutely, yeah, but, definitely. But absolutely the same thing, and I'm all for that. Whether it's politics or just travel, that's why the Exploration Killer should be a much bigger part of the 5e game. And it's certainly, I'm glad to see that it's in the games that content creators like yourself are, are doing. Absolutely, yeah. Like, note-takers are my favorite players. I love them. (laughs) As a storyteller who is managing so much, the note takers are my friends. And I frequently say, hey, can you send me your notes from the last session? Because what they wrote down are the things that I want to focus on. Because even if it wasn't the thing that I thought they should focus on, it is what they focused on. That's a really good idea, Leewanika. I like that. (laughs) That Mm -hmm. I use that to my advantage often. Glenn, you've actually on occasion maybe not sent me the physical notes but i've asked you on a few occasions what you remember and that's why i do that (laughs) i ask that question all the time what do you remember from the last bit and that helps me build my recap because if they miss the thing i wanted then i know i need to recap that when we start the Mm -hmm. next session hey there travelers do you want early access to all of our episodes how about exclusive content live broadcasts and the chance to throw dice with your favorite hosts and fellow fans you can do all that by signing up for our Patreon at www.patreon.com slash ttjourneys. But wait, there's more. For the next month, you can get a free coffee mug for signing up at the Adventurer level, plus Adventurer level Patreons automatically get complimentary copies of our latest book, The Traveler's Guide to the Multiverse, available on DMs Guild. We love doing this show for y'all, and your support helps us keep creating and producing great content for you. We have tiers to fit any budget for a monthly commitment, so join us today at www.patreon.com slash ttjourneys. All that, a little bit of preamble, let me get on to my question. One of the things I noticed when- Oh, you ain't jumping initiative on me, son. I failed my deception roll. Please continue, Glenn. (laughs) (laughs) My my perception is high enough to nail that. (laughs) That was good. I almost got it. I was close. So my question specifically, I mean, we've touched on it a little bit. I really, I'm going to be honest. I really enjoyed reading your preface and the way that y'all chose to write it from the perspective of people trying to figure out a long, complicated game with a high cost of entry, et cetera, versus what you're trying to create. And I'm not going to give you all that, but they wrote it narratively. You'll have to read it yourself because it's too long for me to go through, but it was wicked cool. But in particular, the part that cracked me up the absolute most that leads into my question was where it says, and it was time for their characters to fight some bad guys. One hour later, they had finished their three-minute fight, which I actually think is more like they're maybe 
90 second fight sometimes or even 60 60 second fight how often does the fight go past 10 rounds in DD? but it still takes an hour to two hours so obviously just based on the preface without even getting into the specifics of the mechanics because reading them I very much like the way that they sound, but not having actually played through them, I don't have a great idea of how long it takes. So can you take us through a, the difference between, and we don't have to say Watsy's product, but between huh. running combat and your game versus running combat and a, we'll call it combat simulation expanded time frame. You've been at this for two hours, but really only... 45 seconds have passed kind of game. Doing combat in the other game, it felt a lot like when you're in school and you do show and tell and you sit in a circle and like some person goes, today I brought this. And then the person next goes, here's my show and tell. And when it's been, you like, you watch everyone else and then it's your turn and then you do your bit and then you watch everyone else. I didn't really like that sort of circle time scenario. In Guild 66, the, all the hunters go at the same time. The hunters share the same turn, and they decide whether or not they're going to attack, use a sign, or use an item. The attackers go first, and to cut the story short, they roll their dice, and then they attack, and then the sign uses next, and then the item uses, and then it's the monster's turn. So because all the hunters go at the same time, they do have a short amount of time to collaborate and talk to each other about what they'd like to do, what they'd like to do. And then when it's the monster's turn, if they haven't chosen their turn wisely, and if they're not focusing on particular parts of the combat, they'll really suffer for it. So the attackers, they first need to decide whether or not they're doing a heavy hit. They start with 3d6, that's their damage die, and they decide whether or not they need to do, they'd like to do a heavy hit, which is a bit of a gamble. If they do, they get another damage die. But if they miss, if they roll to hit and they miss, they skip their next turn as they're trying to reset their weapon. And no one wants to be a sitting duck in the middle of a battlefield, so it's a real gamble. But it is crucial to get that extra d6. Then they roll to hit and they add their bonuses. If the monster's in a weakened state, if the hunters have read what the monster's weakness is and they've applied it and the monster's in a weakened state, they get another d6. If they roll that dice and the face-up number is a 6, they get another d6. So now we're up to 66 if they haven't missed. If they're rolling 66, they double all the dice. So when I said it's an explosive d6 system, the damage can very quickly go from 30 to 72. That's the explosive bit. Yeah. So I think that's the main difference between that combat and Guild 66 combat. Guild 66 is much faster and a much more explosive system where gambling is a big part of it. I'm kind of like the parallels guy, right? I'm like, oh, that sounds a lot like the... But I'm not sure if you have played the Aliens system that Free League Publishing put out. But it is very much like that, where you have you have a pool of dice that are based on your own ability score, and you also have a pool of stress dice. And you can pull from your stress dice to go ahead and make your roll potentially more successful. But as a horror game is wont to be, being stressed is not good, right? Yeah. And so sure. as you get more stressed, you are more likely you are as you get more stressed, you are more likely to succeed in the thing that you're trying to do, but you are also more likely to succeed or fail with consequences involved, mm-hmm. right? So you may use your blaster rifle and shoot the facehugger off of Jim's 
the medic, but if you're stressed when you do that, you may also wind up shooting Jim the medic. And sure, it will kill the face hugger, but it will also kill Jim. Like that kind of thing. Yeah. When you remove the hugger and the face. You know? Exactly. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. You don't want to do that. Yeah. Uh-huh. yeah. No, yeah. exactly. Yeah. So. This system is very much dependent on the items you use. If you're going up against a dragon, you're going to need some sort of fire immunity. So one of your turns, you can either try and attack, or you can not attack, potentially extend the battle by not dealing damage and putting on a fireproof mantle, which will give you temporary immunity to fire. Or um, if you decide, oh, you guys attack, I'll cast this sign, which gives you an expanded crit. So if you roll a five or a six, not just a six, you now get the extra d6. So a lot of it is teamwork and collaboration. Nice. Mm. Excellent. All right, Mr. Miller, now you get to go. Oh, finally, my turn. I wanted to shift gears away from the mechanics of the game for a bit. I love that answer. But I wanted to Thank talk you. about the artwork. Since I've been looking at your Facebook page, you have a, a beautiful group there. It's growing. I, in fact, I know just when I looked at it, it grew by at least one person just a moment ago. But Thank uh, you. I really like the artwork you had there. Is And I know we're pre-Kickstarter at the point of recording, but is that artwork that is going to be expanded on or polished or finished? for the final product or is that placeholder art that we're seeing so far no i can't be certain which art you've seen yeah there's a lot of art there there's some great memes that lead to the, some of the yeah. themes that we are we're discussing here today i was thinking more, more like the character arcs. you've got the one that looks like one of your hunters is holding a sword aloft and you've mm-hmm. got one of the hunters with a crossbow just some of those different pictures and then some of the monster pictures were in there as well that looked interesting <laughs> I noticed that the artwork looks, at least for the characters, hunter characters, it looked very similar. So is, is that kind of a lean towards where the art direction is going? Yeah. So the art is from quite a few different artists. I've got someone doing watercolor. I've got someone doing quite concepty style art. I've got someone doing like a fantasy realism. And I've gone for quite a broad art style in that I'd like quite a broad art style, quite a lot of different styles of art. I'd like someone to do like some sort of stained glass sort of looking art, to be honest, but I'm not sure I'll find anyone at this juncture. So yeah, the artwork on the Facebook is the is quite a bit of the finalised artwork that will be going into the book to give people an idea of what the creatures look like, what sort of the hunters might look like. And they're getting a lot of art back recently as well. So there's even more to come. But yeah, the art on the on the Facebook page is finalized, I think. Yeah. Excellent. Nice. It, it's gorgeous work. I mean, that it was striking to me. I, at this stage, we don't often see finished product unless it's an existing company and they're literally showing you mm. art from either an older project or something along those lines. With our Kickstarter, our art came in as we were going throughout the campaign. So we were showing the greater evolutions of it but our page was set up with some of the prelim art, as, and uh, oh, nice. this was clearly of a quality that was beyond that prelim start that we had. So that's mm-hmm. kind of where my question came from. Is okay. I was like, well, anyway, I, I really like those characters. That is a style of artwork that I find very pleasing, and it always draws me in. And I wanted to call out to that. Folks out there who are listening to this, back to Kickstarter, obviously. But jump on the page. Check it out. It's fun. The memes you have are great. They're, 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 <laughs> they, they are worthy uh, of note. 
I don't know how to make memes like that, but to take your individual content and make a meme like you did the one with the GM giving something to the player. <laughs> yeah. oh, uh, and, and then the thought in the back of their mind about it being, might be poison. The mm. meme that went with that was brilliant. And I can't tell Thank you. Thank you like, so much. If ever a storyteller is trying to give something that might be too powerful or clearly give it away too easily, that's how you do it. You always give them some NPC that says, but that could be bad. And then watch time just go as they debate whether mm-hmm. or not they should take this information as verbatim or truth. So oh, absolutely. I, I, I love what you got there. It really it speaks to my storyteller heart. Oh, I love the memes on that page. And I sometimes worry that I'm better at making memes than anything else. There's no future in memes. <laughs> <laughs> You're probably right. no, there's no monetization of memes, at least for those yeah. who make them. Yeah. Right? For me, my favorite artwork currently, because I've got so much more to come, my favorite artist on Fiverr is called TND Illustrations. And they are just amazing with their creature art. They've done me so much, and they're working on one of the ghosts in the game, inspired by a Japanese tale of a waterfall princess. It is a giant ghost frog, the Takayashi Hime, and I'm so looking forward to getting that back. But all of the creatures in this game were inspired by real-life mythology from around the world. I feel like my heaviest inspirations in real life are from Mesoamerican tales and but there's a lot of like European type creatures and Japanese sort of infl- inspirations here and there. There is one creature that I would really like to get artwork for based on a tale from where I am in the northeast of England called the Long Whittam Dragon. And I'm so looking forward to getting that piece. But my favorite artworks are the Citrus Worm, which is a dragon that likes to eat fruit and it looks really happy. He's just got a really happy face. He will tear out your liver, but he'll do it with a smile. The Cryo Sphinx, which it was inspired by some Egyptian stuff. Just the way it was rendered, TND is just a genius. The Homodile is a great creature, but my favorite is the Fluffkin, because they are just happy and friendly and friend-shaped. They are friend-shaped um, alpaca cat lambs, and I love them. So I'll probably, I'll definitely send you the Fluffkin, that's for certain. They're, Did you say alpaca cat lambs? Yeah, like an alpaca body with ram horns and a great long, super fluffy tail. Nice. Yeah, big friendly. And they're replete on the Facebook page. Like I see them, they, they pop up several times. I can't several, help uh, it. <laughs> I think this game has aura <laughs> elements, but I can't help it. <laughs> Without a doubt, that is not, that, no shade cast. I like them, I thought they were very cool. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I've got so many creatures. It's funny because I've got all these big scary monsters that you're meant to fight. But then I've got like two copies of each of all the wholesome cute ones. There's a creature <laughs> in this game called a McCree, which is inspired by macaques and Japanese hot spring monkeys. And they're just like little monkeys that hold their tails. And I'm like, yes, I want 50. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. If you ever incorporate, I would definitely use that that alpaca cat lamp as your logo or mascot or part of your logo oh yeah like if, if, oh, if you make stuffed alpaca cat lambs and add, add, uh-huh. make an add-on oh yeah i've gone now gone to look at the fluff kit and yeah it's pretty awesome i love its scarf in particular yes absolutely right uh, it's I mean, very smart looking guys. alpaca cat lamb yeah all right gentlemen i think we've got time for one more round here let's do it up and see what we got 
It's an 18 for me. Natural oh, 20. Oh, Ooh, Glenn good. goes first again. You got two questions. Mm. Mm. Ah, no. Five. It just means he has to go first. <laughs> I am happy to take the trail question because I think what I will do is I've got a great question in mind. So I'm going to take the trail question because I think it's a good one to end the discussion on. Just trying to help. Right. Just trying to help my brother out. Right. I, <laughs> I appreciate that. Glenn, have at it. So my question is less of a question and more of a request for your exposition. And I'm going to ask you to expound on your crafting and monster harvesting system because I loved it and I have more questions than I could fit into this episode. So instead, I figured I would just throw it out there and punt and let you talk about it. Absolutely. 100%. I have a document here. And I'm just going to see how many materials there are in this game. I think there are 148 different materials for hunters to gather, combine in unique ways. So it's meant to be a very open system in that you roll a foraging check for foraging for certain materials. So if you need herbs, your best place is to check a forest. If you need fungus, you need to check maybe a swamp or a cave. And you gather up your materials. And the system itself is quite quick. You roll a series of checks that can be done narratively or just mechanically, and then you get the results depending on what you rolled. In the game, GMs are quite discouraged from saying you just don't make it and you waste your items, because I feel like crafting and creativity are quite a core part of this game. And to say you don't get anything feels like quite a bit of a bit of damp cloth. And no one really wants that. So you could, for example, make less of what you had or make a version that is less good. But I wouldn't necessarily say you make nothing. So it's pretty simple and it's pretty straightforward. It's quite easy to grasp. You roll your foraging check, depending on what you rolled is how much you get. And then you use a tool like an alchemy kit if you're doing alchemy or a crafting toolkit if you're crafting a weapon or maybe fixing something. Fletcher's kit for making arrows or bolts. Yeah, and then you craft what you want. And then harvesting materials from monsters, depending on how exhausted you are after the combat, because it is a very intense experience, GMs could say, roll a foraging check, and you will get what you get depending on your roll. Or they might just give you one of each item, or they might give the group a number of items depending on what makes sense. For example, A wyvern typically might have two horns, they've got two wings, so that's two lots of webbing. And then depending on how bludgeoned the dragon is and how many scales are useful, they might get anywhere between 10 and 20 scales. And then if they've got claws, then probably eight or 10 claws, depending on the number of toes. So yeah, it's a pretty straightforward, pretty simple system to grasp for crafting. And I kept it that way so that let's... Players are always giving you curveballs, and hunters especially, and they might decide they want a potion that gives them crab armor or antennae that can sniff out magic or something. It's a very (laughs) simple system. I don't know why. (laughs) Antenna that can sniff out magic. I don't know what it is about that. That's just hysterical. (laughs) So carry on. Sorry. Yeah. If that's what they want, then the GM can go, okay, so for every potion, I need three ingredients and an alchemy toolkit. So what three ingredients would I need for our antennae that can sniff out magic? We'll probably need 
The antennae are going to grow, so let's put fertilizer on the list. We need antennae themselves, so let's get some moths. And, I don't know, maybe a curveball, something weird. We need dandelion, because these antennae are fuzzy. So we need a dandelion as well. If you can get these three ingredients and an alchemy toolkit, and you roll well enough, then yeah, you can have your potion. So I left the system simple so that it was easy to mess with. I love how open-ended <laughs> that is too, that your players yeah. can and can come up with what yeah. they want the effect to be, and you just help them figure out how to come up with the components to make it. Absolutely. because. Yeah. The hunters are also responsible for making their weapons. They start with a very basic weapon, depending on their class. So School of Boars get big, heavy weapons, like hammers and staffs. And School of Ravens, they get ranged weapons, so bows and slingers. And let's say they want a bow that is great for underwater combat, and there's no bow in the handbook that is great for underwater combat. The system's open-ended enough, they can choose what they need and make it themselves. I like it so much, like more than Thank I could you. express, but it was too <laughs> complex for me to come up with one question. So I think you did a great job of just generally expounding so on it. Thank you very much. All right. So for my final question here, and you kind of alluded to this right at the very end, and I'm surprised that we hadn't got to the whole discussion of schools and everything like that. But so basically there are four schools that your hunters can go to, boar, raven, elk, and... Oh, there we go. Yeah. So. I want to, again, ask you to to expound a little bit about that, about what's the relationship between the schools and how, how are the schools also distinct and different, everything like that? Absolutely. This is one of my favorite questions. Excellent. All the schools It's a, it's a total softball, again. Just uh, tell I, us I appreciate it. I appreciate <laughs> it so much. Yeah. Thank you. This is, again, one of my favorite questions. The schools all belong to Guild 66, and they are all separate, and they focus on separate things, of course. Some students choose to go to the schools because they want to become hunters despite the risks. Some are dropped at where they think the school will be and are told in to go in and take care and do it. And so for each school, the entrance exam is very much getting to the school. School of Boars, they have hunters which are trained in hammers and staffs, but they're great with animals. And so you get a lot of buffs when you're making your character towards animal-based things. For example, School of Boars is the only school that starts with a pet. So you can choose a little pet like a little bird or a stoat or a tiny dragon called a nooker, which is a, another English or maybe Welsh fairy tale. You also get a spell called Fauna Sense, which lets you tune in to life around you and detect animal life through this like magical sense. And these hunters are very big and strong, but they're very patient and kind and they've got great empathy. The next school is School of Elk, and these are the magic-focused school. They use weapons like long, sharp weapons, so glaives and long swords, and their focus is on magic. These schools are typically found at the tops of mountains where very little grows and you've got very few resources. So magic isn't as much taught as it is a necessity to live. If you can't cultivate magic in these altitudes, you just won't survive, essentially. So they start off with the highest noise tolerance, so they can cast the most signs, and they start off with the widest range of signs as well. School of Ravens are ranged hunters, and their schools are typically found deep underground, where resources are really controlled really strictly controlled, and they are very crafty. School of Ravens get 
lots of bonuses to making bombs and ammunition to fire out of their weapons and things like that. And they have to be very creative. And then School of Owls, they're real people people. They're stealthy. They're great at planning, great strategists, and they're real people people. Their school typically moves around a lot. So to find one of these schools, students would have had to track them down, essentially. And that is the, um, the entrance exam to actually find it. They get bonuses to understanding people and their motives. They get bonuses to insight. But they're also very stealthy, great strategists. They're good for buffing other hunters in the party, helping them hit harder and hit more reliably. I love the way that you called them schools. Again, that's like a nod to the fact that the hunters are, uh, they're trained for this, right? This is the thing that they have worked their life to go ahead and figure out how to do. Like The monster-hunter relationship it, it's like the axis that everything else swims around. And so I love the, that kind of like that homage. Like, nope, these are skilled, trained fighters. So it's what they go ahead and do. And then, so they, they are experts at investigation. They are experts at the foraging aspect. They're experts at the crafting section. And then they all are driving towards that singular goal. I really liked the way that dichotomy was set up. So, Well, a little peek behind the curtain, a little bit of trivia for the podcast. Originally, the schools worked on a major minor system. So you could choose a major in like dual daggers or a longsword, and you would get the four things from the major. And then you could choose a minor in anything else. So if you chose a minor in the same thing, you'd get the minor two stuff from that class, or you could choose a minor in anything else. Because originally the schools were one big campus, with, and it was uh, cut into quarters, and you could choose a minor in any of the other schools, and you would get the two things from that. But playtesting, a lot of the feedback I got was actually the system was just confusing. They want to be able to pick one thing and go through the list and sort it out. It made character creation faster, but also it lowered the barrier to entry to character creation. It lowered that like confusion barrier. Um, So yeah, the major minor system was eventually gotten rid of. Have you thought about, just because this popped into my head just now, because I really liked the major minor system, and then I heard what you were saying was the problem. Have you thought about adding that in as a turn in some form again later as the hunter progresses? So if you continue playing the same hunter for long enough, as he grows more powerful at this point, he could now learn from another school if he could track it down and obtain a minor. That way they've already mastered the first concepts before they get to the next one. Can I treat this as your question? Or would you like to ask? Oh, you already asked a question. Yeah, that, that was, <laughs> that was actually my reaction to uh, to throw in follow up. Yeah, okay. I um, will allow it. You, you will allow it. Like You're question, very, don't you? You're very kind. <laughs> yeah, I did. Thank you very much. So once you've made your character, that's it. You're not locked. So you have access to all the skills, all the signs, all the abilities, um, all the recipes. All you have to do is learn them. So when I say it's a fully open system. You're not locked into any trope. If, for example, you're playing School of Boars, but you're really tired of being the big, hulking, strong guy, and actually you want to be a ranged uh, signcaster, by investing time in yourself, you can increase your noise capacity, you can learn more signs at the sacrifice of not learning anything else, and you can become that ranged signcaster. You're not locked into any kind of trope. So... Yeah, once you've made your character, 
the world's your oyster. You can do anything you want. You can learn any of the skills, any of the abilities, doesn't matter. All right. So it doesn't Excellent. need to come in later because you can already multi-class effectively uh-huh. into anything effectively. else. Yeah. So I think that'll bring us to the final question for the discussion today. And my question is regarding the Kickstarter itself. And specifically, can you let our audience know what backers of this Kickstarter can expect to get at the various pledge levels? And what do you have in mind for stretch goals? So the rewards that you can get are the Hardback Hunter's Guide, the Hardback Guildmaster's Guide. And I'd like to do special editions, limited editions, but those aren't fully confirmed yet because I want to make absolutely certain that one of the rewards that I promise does happen. I don't want to make no fake promises. So you will get the A4 6-inch by 9-inch, I think it will be Hardback Hunter's Guide and Guildmaster's Guide, or the PDF copies instead, or as well as. I'm doing four different pins, and hard enamel pins, um, that are 30 millimeters, and a deck of 85 sign cards. So the first tier is the Super Thanks. This is the tier that pays for my food and utilities, and that's as low as one pound. That's the tier that keeps me alive, and it is greatly appreciated. The next level is Hinky Punk, which are small fire ghosts that typically live in swamps. You might also know them as Will-o'-the-Wisps. And this is an arcane tier, otherwise known as an E tier. So this tier will give you the Hunter's Guide PDF. The next one is the Dovian tier, which gives you the Hunter's Guide and the Guildmaster's Guide PDFs as well. Another E tier. And then after that is the Hunter's tier, which is the first physical tier. And that one gets you the Hunter's Guide hardback and Hunter's Guide PDF. And that one is £25. So that'll get you the hardback, the PDF, and a credit in the front of the book. The Hinky Punk tier is £10, and the Dovian Sniffer tier is £15. So you'll get a discount with the Dovian tier. Next is the Nekalin tier, which is the Trinkets tier. Nekalin are like cats, and they like to collect things. And so this tier is just for the trinkets. You get the four pins, the Monster Pocket Guide, and credit in the book. The Monster Pocket Guide is just an A5 quick reference guide to quickly flick through all the different monsters and match the clues, because it'll be much easier to use that than it will be to have the big hardback book on the table. Just makes things a bit more convenient, and that's £30. The Guildmaster tier is the Guildmaster's Guide hardback and the Guildmaster's Guide PDF, the Hunter's Guide hardback and PDF, and a credit in the book. So that's both the physical books, and that's £50. And then the Arcane Weaver tier is the Hunter's Guide hardback and PDF, Guildmaster's Guide hardback and PDF, the Monster Pocket Guide, some quick reference cards, the Guild 66 shield enamel pin, and a credit in the book as well. But like I say, so much of this is still in the works. As of recording, the project doesn't go live for another month. I don't think. Another month or so, yeah. Yeah, so so things could change a little bit between now and then. So we have a nice preview of what we should be seeing or the general idea, concept of what's out there. Absolutely, yeah. Yeah, and I've got to say, this is so much fun. I'm really enjoying it, especially making the story for the Kickstarter page, like getting all the graphics together, making it look pretty, deciding on a color scheme and... uh, sort of genre that I'm going with. It's been so good to really get yeah. into the graphic design part of that sort of thing. Yeah. I am not a graphic designer at all, but I also agree with you. That's one of the things that Glenn does for us, thankfully, is because oh, nice. uh, he can do that 
But when we were putting the, the Kickstarter together, for a variety of reasons, I was the one doing the Kickstarter page, and it was like, oh, God, this is hard. It's so hard. <laughs> this is so it's really hard. It's so much fun. Yeah. 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 It's like finances and maths, and you're like, oh, yeah. God, this is tough. <laughs> Thank God for Excel. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, Joseph, thank you so very much for coming on here. We really appreciate uh, you taking some time out of your uh, your Sunday evening to come and talk with us about Guild 66. Really looking forward to it. And you said that the Kickstarter itself goes live on November 20, November 15th, right? That's right. Yeah. Aiming for Brilliant. November 15th. And thank Excellent. you so much for having me. I was, I'm tempted to ask if we can do this again. Like this is, it's just so nice to talk to you guys <laughs> and chill out yeah. and indulge in the project. And yeah, it's been really lovely. Thank you so much for having yeah. me. Absolutely. No, it's absolutely our pleasure. And inevitably, whenever we do interviews with like great people and they say that they want to go ahead and come back on, the next invitation would be for you to go ahead and come on our show sometime in the new year and run a game session with us uh, oh, yes, where you, yes, where yes, you yes. run the three of us play. And uh, we put that out on one of, on our Tuesday actual play channels. Standing invitation for awesome game creators. We'll be in touch after the new year to go ahead and, and get that set up. So you unlock the achievement and therefore... So it's, yeah, you said the magic words. So, that sounds yeah. fantastic. Yes, yeah, so I think so I would cool. really enjoy playing this. Actually. I would be so game for that. Yes, I yeah. love it. Brilliant. That's my second favorite thing that we do is APs with people who run their game, and then we just get really to bring is. our role playing to yeah. the table and have fun. It really is a lot of fun. It's an idea that I shamelessly stole from another podcast, but it really it works so well. And thankfully, the other podcast took it as the compliment that it was intended to be. So that's a, so that's good. So yeah, that's cool. Awesome. Our episode next week is going to be our annual uh, post-Thanksgiving shopping episode. Uh, if you are looking to go ahead and Shopper's buy guide. something for the upcoming holidays for the TTRPG fan in your life, uh, make sure you tune in next week. And we're beginning our playthrough of the Masks the Worst Generation game that we recorded a couple months ago now. That is also beginning to run uh, next week. So big, exciting things for us over here at, at Tabletop Journeys. So anyway... Joseph, thank you very much for coming on here. We really appreciate you taking the time to go ahead and chat with us today. Thank you so much for having me. This has been amazing. This has been ace. Ah, you are most welcome. Fantastic. It's been a blast. Yeah, absolutely. So much we'll fun. Have, we'll have Great to talking with you. Yeah. All right, everybody. Thank you very much for listening. Like I said, we'll talk to you again next week. Have a good night, everybody. Thank you. Good night, all. Bye. Thank you for joining us. This has been Tabletop Journeys. We would love to hear your feedback on our show today. Join us at www.ttjourneys.com, where you can subscribe to the blog to leave comments and see all the content that we publish beyond the podcast. You can also stay in touch by subscribing to our Twitter, at TT Journeys, by joining our Facebook group, Tabletop Journeys, or by sending an email directly to podcast at ttjourneys.com. And remember, if you want early access to all of our episodes, a chance to drop dice with your favorite hosts, and maybe even appear in one of our actual plays, you can join our Patreon to help support the show at patreon.com forward slash ttjourneys. You're listening to us on Stitcher, iTunes, Podchaser, Spotify, or Audible. We would appreciate it if you would like and subscribe to the podcast on that platform. Full episodes come out every week on Saturdays, and every Tuesday features our actual play episodes. Thank you for listening and for being a part of our growing community. And in the words of another traveler along our path, we bid you shade and sweet water.